everybody and welcome to another episode of the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you in the house. If you're a regular, welcome back. If you're a newbie, nice to have you here today. Thank you, hit the download button. We do appreciate you taking the time to be a part of our little show. This week, we are kicking goals. Literally, we have got one of the great AFL legends of the modern era on the program, talking about all things AFL, sport, family, and lots of stuff that relates back to business. This is a cracking show with a true legend. Before we start, let's go from one legend to another behind the panel. Robbo, welcome, mate. Thank you. How are you? Very well. In fact, I've got some news to share with you. Well, I've got some for you as well. Your inspiration of you picking up the tools to Mm. start uh, back on the woodwork and building us a brand new studio. Mm. I took your inspiration. And I and some fathers from our local area have just finished building an outdoor classroom for the children at our little school. Oh, nice. You have to put some photos up on Facebook. Well, what was really interesting is, and it ties back to a lot of the stuff we've talked about in this show, but it really took me out of my comfort zone. Like, I've never used a router before, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. we had to do basically 30 chairs and each chair had two pieces because they they slip into each other. And uh, having to jump on the router Mm. to smooth the edges and stuff was was really, I've never ever used one before. And going through the whole process with circular saws and cutting and mm. chipping and everything else, it was. Um, but it was now done, and we have a fantastic outdoor classroom area for the kids mm. under a big kind of oak tree because mm. um, we know that vitamin D is one of the most depreciated vitamins in our system. And I just think kids need fresh air. And mm. uh, so, yeah, so it's all now built thanks to all the dads in the local area. But, uh, mate, that all came from you saying, I'm getting on the tools. Nice. Well, um, I've got some news for you and it deals with kids as well. Yes. Uh, I can now announce officially that Tanae and I are going to have another baby. No. Yeah. Yeah. We're about 10 weeks down the track. So, um, so yeah, we're really happy. Wow. Congratulations, mate. That, yeah, um, thank you. Just goes to show those uh, those testosterone smoothies you've been having. Yeah. That, uh, obviously, <laughs> that's uh, right. They're still kicking around. Exactly. Oh, the, and the, the swimmers, you've got some uh, Michael Phelps up there, mate. That's uh, nice work. That's They've good. Been listening to the Olympic champions, yeah. And uh, and just a studio update too, mate. Uh, I'm starting work uh, on the weekend on the uh, the new bench seat that will be going up the back of the studio. So if you've got any uh, if you've got any suggestions or um, or requests, you better get them in soon. Any request is that we don't get rid of the Tiger Skin Lounge completely. I think we no, need to find somewhere else that. for that. Maybe they can go to the back of the tour bus next to the merchandise stand. Yeah, out in the waiting room or something, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, speaking of being on the road, mm. we have had a theme through the show over the last maybe month to six weeks talking about digital nomads Mm. following on for the interview we did with Nicola Newman and I've talked about how a large percentage of our population now are freelancers Mm. who basically as long as they have a laptop somewhere interesting and creative to work and the interwebs connection they are happy to freelance and this is a trend now that is sweeping the world in lots of different ways but I found a really interesting blog called The Eight Productivity Habits of the Most Successful Freelancers. Mm. Gary's Google Mojo. So I will post the whole story um, on the show notes. Anybody who wants the links, contacts, and the details of what we talk to our guests about or 
stuff that Robbo and I rap about, just go to the mojoradioshow.com. Mm. You'll see a little tab called The Shows. Click on the show that you're after and you'll see this link sitting in those show notes. But it's quite interesting because uh, people who are freelancing, in some cases, are working out of coffee shops or in an office as a temporary, as temporary location or from home. And this blog talks, and it came from fastcompany.com, they talk about what are the, some of the most important tools that freelancers can use to make sure their productivity is high. One of the things they talked about, which I really like, and I'm going to give a crack, is they schedule their time using three C's. Kevin Krauss is author of 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management. And in that book, he suggests the three C's are creative, collaborative, and connecting. So when you organize your day, you organize around those three pieces. The first is the creative, is you schedule time in your day for your creative work. And that's what we've talked about on the show as being your deep work, your thinking, making decisions, writing, planning, stuff where you need to focus and really concentrate and use your creative spirit. The second one he talked about was a collaborative piece. Now, collaborative piece is who do you need to see, what meetings will you attend, calls you have to make. It's basically the stuff you need to collaborate on others with. The third C was connecting, which I really like, Robert, because it talked about connecting time, which is either connecting with yourself, recharging, exercising, chill time, and or connecting with friends and family. So I kind of like the idea of those three Cs. Not bad at all. Someone's been sitting down with their creative time. (laughs) Well, the thing I would say with that is that's one option of how you plan your day. So the suggestion always is the night before your day, sit down and plan out what's going to happen the next day. If we do a flashback to Didier Elzinger from Culture Amp, I thought he had a fantastic option for us to share. He was episode 21. Can you play that bit from Didier on how he sets up his day for productivity? How do you organize your diary? How do you organize your day? Do you have a system or process you go through to get your day sorted? What I like to do is sit down and write a piece of paper either the night before or the morning of, and I write a series of sections. So the first section I write is priorities, and it's what are the three things that I should be focused on? Mm. Uh, so, you know, um, it might be, you know, close this big account or do a close a, a fundraiser or, or whatever it is. Uh, one that the second one on my list at the moment right now is, uh, is, is articulate a strategy. And that's just the thing that I'm working through with everybody, making sure that we have one that we're all in agreement. Um, and then, something else and these things are outcomes they're not tasks they're outcomes they're they're big little things that I'll be thinking about for a period of time and I've just found that there's something really powerful and profound about writing that list every morning and it hasn't changed for two weeks but Mm -hmm. it tells me these are the things if I'm not doing anything else this is what I have to be focusing on and even if I am doing other things this is what I have to be focusing on and some days I don't get past the first item on my page. Mm, mm. All I do is focus on that thing, but I'm okay with that because I've already defined it. So yeah. priorities first. Second, I write people and I just write down a list of the people that I want to make sure I contact or talk to today. And so once again, it's not a task list. It's not call John. It's just, okay, I need to check this thing with John. I'm going to say, John, I want to touch this. Doug, I want to touch on that. 
And I find it, I don't know why, but I find it useful to make that not a task list, but just uh, somewhere in the day, I have to have a communication with this person. Mm. Um, so I have a list of people and whatever it is that communications, I'm, whatever it is I'm trying to talk to them about. Um, then I have what I call do, which is anything that has to be done that day. And it's also where I store the things that pop up during the day. And I try and keep that short. I mean, I actually have a list of things to do, which is elsewhere. This is just my jog for the hopefully two or three things that I need to do. Um, and then I have a list called meetings and that's my meetings of the day. And so I write all that out, even though I have all my meetings in my Google calendar, I still write it all out and I find yeah. it just useful to look at it and go, they're the sort of four things. So today I should be either thinking about or working on one of my priorities, talking to one of these people, doing one of these tasks or in one of these meetings. That's and then I try and use that to keep myself going. Now, speaking of time, the other thing that this blog suggests, and this piece came from Jennifer Lawler, who wrote The Dojo Wisdom for Writers, suggests tracking your time so that when you allocate time, you know how long things are going to take. I think it's one of the biggest downfalls that freelancers, in fact, anybody has, is that we allocate time to do stuff, but we completely underestimate how long it's going to take. So it runs over, and then the rest of the day goes pear-shaped. So I kind of like that idea. Mm. Point four they had is set a specific workspace. This is important for freelancers because freelancers have to have a space, whether it be in their home or outside the home, they feel comfortable about. It should be something where you have the necessary materials, information, the resources and vibe. Now, I met a guy on the weekend who said, I love coffee shops. I love the white noise. I love the movement, the humdrum. I like all that. I'm surrounded by people, but I don't have to talk to them. In a separate conversation, a guy said, no, 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 I need complete silence. So the idea of this is when, as a freelancer, as a digital nomad, is setting up your own environment, and then with that environment, they suggest you also have to have a place where you can focus, where you can actually turn off distractions if need be. Now, that is the environment, but it's also social media, turning off all your notifications, not answering emails, turning off your phone so that you can actually sit and do great work. And the last piece that I quite liked, and people can go through this and sort of dig into more details with this, but I've spent a lot of time doing this is analyzing your processes. So in order to have those three C's and being able to allocate time to them, you need to have systems and processes. Now, Jocko Willicks, the famous Navy SEAL, who does his own fantastic podcast, although it's pretty heavy, and wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. One of his favorite sayings is discipline equals freedom. So it's the discipline of getting things done, setting times and sticking to times, gives you then the freedom to be creative, to sit, to ponder, or have more time to yourself. And systems and processes free up creative time. And it's interesting when I'm out speaking on the circuit about creativity and innovation, people think that systems and processes stifle creativity. In fact, the most creative organizations or most creative people have specific systems, routines, rituals that then frees them up and gives them the freedom to be able to have time to themselves to create. So. What do you reckon, mate? How are we batting? Is that, a, uh, is that a gold medal performance? A gold medal performance. It might be a soap on a rope performance, maybe. Maybe we should send him one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was good. I, I, you know, you read a lot of blogs and stuff, but I thought that one for a freelancer, you could really write that down and start to tick those boxes to mm. make sure that you're 
you know, making the best use of your time and, and the outcome is you make the best use of your time, your discipline in it, gives you the freedom to create, do your best work, and then you get the best performance. So mm. um, anyway, mm. I'll load that up. We should, uh, we should also put it out there that if you decide that you're going to have a crack at using that, that you, if you notice some results, you, you jump on our Facebook page or uh, on the website and send us a note, let us know how it worked for you. What a lovely segue. Mm. Thank you, Darren. <laughs> the Mojo Radio Show. Now, you could jump on our Facebook page and you could do that same thing as Peter Price, Gino Zine, Ziddy, Zini, KJ Simpson, Rochelle Jacobs, or Sarah Nixon have done by getting on board, saying good day to us, liking you sure that's our page. KJ Simpson, not OJ Simpson? That's KJ. <laughs> but OJ loves our show. He does. He's a oh, huge fan. He's got so much time on his hands now. He, he's, he's a big fan of getting his mojo working in and out of the workplace, so to speak. Yeah, funnily enough, that's one thing he actually will confess to. <laughs> the Mojo Radio Show. So, Gaz, rugby's the game they play in heaven. Soccer's the global <laughs> game. And AFL's the game where you get a point for missing. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee, great opening to the show, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Po- way to start on a positive. Now, for our international guests, AFL is Australia's own game of footy. Mm. AFL is a religion in some cities of Australia. And if I was relating it back to our guests from the United States, it's like a an NFL vibe, only it's a, a different game over here where it's a lot of running, not as much stop. It's, it's, it's called the running game. We'll stick a link to some footage for anyone who's interested up on the Facebook page. Now, our guest today is probably one of the greatest AFL players in the modern era. And I'm not saying that. This is his peers consider him to be one of the greats ever. Simon Madden is unquestionably one of the greatest ruckmen. Now, for those people who are international guests, ruckman means they're really tall. When the ball is bounced to start the game, these tall guys all jump up as high as they can. They tap the ball down to the small guys called rovers, and that's how the game commences. Mm. Simon Madden has played 378 AFL games. He has a street named after him. He actually has a cinema named after him. He's won two premierships, the Norm Smith medal, and is all in all a top bloke and one of our greats. So we are delighted to have you here. Simon Madden, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Uh, thank you very much. Great to be here. I love the name for starters, the Mojo Radio Show. <laughs> Alliteration well, is beautiful. In the true sense of David Bowie, we threw a whole bunch of words in a hat and just plucked out what came out. It's <laughs> uh, a great way, great, great way to get a song in a band, though. Yes. And we're going to talk about that shortly, your your uh, backstory in the, on the guitar. And we're going to talk about your amazing career in AFL and all that goes with that. To get us started though, Simon, if we, if we talk about specifically today, what sort of work are you doing on a day-to-day basis now and who would you likely be doing it with? Uh, very good question. Thank you for the plug. That's really good. Now, I, uh, I run my own company called uh, Winning Proprietary Limited. It's, it's more of a consultant company. And I work with organisations to improve their people. And basically what I started is improve your people, improve your productivity, improve your profit. So I work with um, organisations. And look, realistically, they're, they're probably the sweet spot, as they say, that term is between 20 and 100. So big, to, uh, big small companies or small big companies or... That can be, you know, that can be multiplied into departments, but sort of the size that you can work with. And I, I work with them on leadership development, on team building, on cultural improvement, which is a bit scary for people who who 
don't understand that. And also, which had been a growth area for me, which I didn't intend, but has actually been sales training because you talk to people and they say, I say, I can help you improve your people. And they go, oh, improve our sales people. You know, we need to sell more. But it's basically about getting people to think wider and broader and understand what they do and what their um, uh, clients do. And basically for the organisation itself, I say, is I try and align the goals and aspirations of the individual with the goals and aspirations of the organisation. And if you do that, you get better workers, you get a better company, and uh, the world goes around a little bit better. Where does that start, Simon? I, I, I love that setup for where we're going to go for the show. Where... In your mind, where does that absolutely start for a business or a leader? Oh, you got a couple of days. Um, <laughs> it, it, look, it, it's really because I, I'm uh, 58 years young. I've got my, I've got. I used to have four kids. Now I've got four adults. I watch the way, the way they grow up. Uh, they're beautiful people. I'm biased, of course, because I'm their father. But I watch the way they deal with the world and how they deal with their friends and how they how their friends deal with the world. And I think it starts back. And I, I compare. I'm always trying to. Well, and you never stop learning. The brain keeps, brain, brain can keep improving. I, I look at the way I was dealt with as a footballer, as a young person when I was young, and how the young people want to be dealt with now. And, and I really think that it really goes back to, and I use this analogy because it's, a, it's an analogy. It's foot, football's a great analogy for life in some instances. So when I was 17, I, I, look, I, was, very, you know, I was very young when I started league football, 16. You couldn't do it now. I'd st- play for the school on Wednesday and play for uh, Essendon on Saturday. It's just a strange you know, thing to think about now. But I had a, I had a coach in the second year. Des Des Tubman was my first coach. He's a really old school coach. And one Sunday morning, he um, he said, we didn't get down on the hands and knees enough yesterday and get the ball. We didn't get on the hands and knees enough in the pack and get the ball. So today we're going to practice. This is Sunday morning training after game. So we think match practice. And he says, we're going to crawl a lap of Windy Hill on our hands and knees. So we And he did too because he was a, a captain coach. So we crawled the lap of Windy Hill on our hands and knees outside the white line. And it takes a long time. And we did that. And we did that because the coach said so. Now, you think about the way the world goes, and blame people like myself because we've educated our kids. You decide to somebody do this and they go, why? And you say, because I say so. They will either directly or indirectly and cruelly and calmly say, well, I won't because I say so because you're on equal ground. And they're not just going to do it blind because you tell them. And a lot of people don't understand that. That's a very old school old school um, uh, leadership style is you do it because I say so. But if you say to the young people now, do do this, and they go, why? And you go, well, for, me, for you this, for me this, for the organisation this and the greater good, and they believe you, they will do it better. But they won't do it blindly. And if once you start understanding that, that this is how you motivate people, and this is one of the things that football coaches have to do. You can talk about money and, and a whole lot of motivation, but if you get a bloke and he puts his head over the ball and gets it kicked off, and he goes in and gets his head over the ball and kicked off. What's the motivation for him to go in again and get it kicked off? It's not because you said so, and it's not because you're paying lots of money. It's because he believes in the cause, and that could be the the, the organisational cause, or the group cause, or the team cause, or or the you know the the world cause, or the or the um, charity cause, whatever it is. The people get involved and put themselves on the line because they believe in what they're doing. Now, if you tap into that. And as I said, you align the goals and aspirations of the individual, the goals and aspirations of the organisation, you get a very good committed um, uh, participant. So, Robbo, we're, we're early in the game today. Yes. <laughs> and I reckon that Simon has just tapped some gold out of the centre circle and I reckon we are heading towards the goals. I think that was absolute, absolute gold. And we're, we're, not even, we're not even halfway through the first quarter. I, I look, I'm, I'm, well, you know, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on board already, absolutely. 
<laughs> well, what, mate, what, what I used to do with the rover, I used to do with the rover, I'd put an X on his chest and I'd say, stand there and hit the ball to him there. Then I'd, <laughs> I'd say, stand there and I'd hit the ball to him there. And I'd keep doing this and one day somebody said to me, well, what if you put the rover in the same place and he gets cleaned up? I said, I'll oh, go and get another one. There are a dime a dozen, you know. <laughs> the rovers don't like you saying that. I, I use a similar thing in the studio, Simon. I put a, a Tim Tam on the console <laughs> and I say to Robbo, if you do well with this show, that Tim Tam's yours See, and he's Tim all Tam over it. Oh, he's all over all it. Things, <laughs> out of all the things to use for motivation, Tim Tam is one of the best. I mean, they're, they're seriously really good. Oh, I've got a weakness ro- for them too. What little what? What little rover doesn't love a good Tim Tam? That's right. That's right. So, and Simon, I have to say, I could, um, I could feel for you talking when you were talking about crawling around the, uh, around the oval. When I played my junior rugby union, I, um, I had a coach who decided that we weren't doing very well, working the ball very well on the ground in the wet. So um, we had a, a weekend of rain and we trained on the Tuesday and he found the biggest puddle he could in the middle of the <laughs> oval and kept throwing a ball into the middle of it and we had to run in and dive on it <laughs> for about uh, half yes, an hour. Yes, all the power, the power play. I will make it better where Absolutely. you like. Absolutely, yeah. Simon, I've heard you speak before and you often well, talk about the that's fourth... That's scary. That's a bit scary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, no, I'm, I'm loving it. You've talked about the four things that you work on when you're working yeah. with a business. And I, I wrote yeah. them down and I love the simplicity of them. Could you run those for us, those four things for yeah. a business no, leader to no consider? Worries. Look, and it's, I've tried to think of the best way to explain to people about the process. And, and we can overwork the process and you can really complicate it. And I said, well, what's, what's the way I understand it and what's the way I could, I could actually pass it on to people? And for me, it's four things. It's clarity, directions, challenge, and cooperation. So it's real, cl- and a lot of people don't do this, real clarity about what your position is for a whole, in a whole lot of areas yourself, your organization, your job, your job description, your boss, your boss's description. So real clarity in that. Uh, understanding the true direction you, you're going in and want to go in. Looking at all the challenges and understanding all the challenges that you have to face along the way. And then working on cooperation um, with all the people you need to cooperate with to get there. And I've tried to look at other ways of explaining. And for me, that, for me, that makes real sense. And I said, look, it's very easy. I can pass it on to other people. If I understand it's really clear to me and, and, and it's true to me, then when I talk about it, I'm, I'm, and I'm not making it up, but it's not a sales pitch. It's actually the reality that I believe in. And so if you believe in that reality, then I can, I can pass it on and, and hopefully get real clear information to people so they understand it as well. Why isn't it happening though, Simon? Because I heard that. And I've followed it myself the last couple of days prior to getting together with you today. And I thought it's such a clean, simple, succinct way to look at your business and to be able to have true understanding in your team. With your experience of working with corporates, why, why do we want to keep confusing? Why do we want to keep putting more and more in as opposed to taking stuff out and getting very clear? Again, another another couple of days. Um, look, it, it's really because we uh, people have a propensity, and, and I do this to overcomplicate things. And we're really, and this is one of the things we're really big on systems and structure. And I, and you can talk about that. You can look at that in, a, in again, footy's analogy. Everybody talks now about structure, and it's really really important. But there's there's an artistic side to football. There's this make it up as you go along type thing that's really necessary. So it's the balance of both. And this is what you talk about the sauce because it's very easy. It's very easy to say to people, "This is the system, um, this is the structure," because that's very measurable. When you start doing the artistic side or the made-up side or the creative creative side of it, which includes a whole lot of it, people don't know how to measure that or how to understand it or how to show it. So it's it's very easy to just go and complicate things with systems. And there's a big difference between um, simple. Um, 
uh, oversimplistic and simple, and there's very things with, uh, uh, you know, complicated and overcomplicated. Or, you know, you look at things that, yeah, there's a, also a difference between complex and complicated. The body is very complex, but it's not complicated. It, it actually, it's actually, you know, food goes in one end and waste goes out the other and, and, and moves around and to help it keep, you know, help it keep um, surviving. So while it's complex, it's not complicated. And a lot of people get the two mixed up. So, and I think there's, um, you've really got to understand that it's not just about the processes and the procedures, which we can overcomplicate, overwork. It's about the simplicity of understanding what you... And I always, always say, I get worried about mission statements because a lot of people do a mission statement. You can even, I think you can even get an app that makes up a mission, you put in the right words and makes up a mission statement for you. It's having a real vision, having a real vision and understanding of what you do. Basically in business, there are two questions. Well, there's one question and it's two parts to it. And the question is, and people more and more ask you this, either directly or indirectly, why should I buy from you? Now, if you can't understand that, then the second part of it's irrelevant, which is why, why, why should I buy from you and not your opposition? And the real of that is, and people historically, and this is why I suppose I've moved into, people have asked me to move into sales training, is that because we people sell, or people think they sell, or they try and sell products and services. And more and more people don't want that. People want solutions and outcomes that they understand in their language. And we and we're used to we're used to actually trying to get people to buy our, our products and services rather than saying okay, what's your situation? What do you really need, or what do you really want? And when you understand what they need or what, then you can find whether you have or don't have products and services that put together in the right solution to fill a need. And so what it is is that you actually understand what their situation is, and that's there's a beautiful old saying, and I forget who said it, but um, most people listen to respond. They don't listen to hear, and the really good, the really good. You know, someone said to me ages ago, and I'd like to say it was mine originally, but I don't think it is. Is you have two ears and one mouth, use them in that proportion. So you sit down and listen to people about what their situation is, what they need, and this goes for manager, managers with workers and parents with you know parents with um, uh, kids with um, coaches and players. You understand what they want, and then you can direct them the right way. Now, sometimes they might not know what they want, and that's when you educate them. And that's the whole part of educating people in in a certain game plan or a certain procedure for, for your company or understanding of your company. But you you sit down and listen, and, and then your comments can be directed to what their needs are to, to help them fulfill their outcome and solution that they're looking at. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. I think that's no. another bit of gold there, Gary. More gold. Uh, Simon, uh, early in the first quarter today, you – talked about people and you talked about culture. Yep. Finish this sentence for me. A really good culture occurs when dot, dot, dot. People understand that they're interdependent, not independent. But this is one of the things we've taught early that we have to be independent and we have to to a certain degree, right? So we have to be able to look after ourselves, feed, clothe, wash, etc. But after that, we are interdependent on the rest of the world. And once you understand that you are interdependent, so you have to collaborate, that's the fancy term, collaborate. Interdependent, you collaborate, you have to work in a team. Once you understand that, and then you understand that if you want the good culture, that works. That has to work. You have to be independent. So rather than working in silos, rather than working in departments, yes, that might be organisationally, but as a culture, you have to all work together. The other part, and, and cult, I mean, culture is, culture is very simple. Now, good culture is hard to get, but culture is very simple. It starts with an attitude, and some people can argue about this, but basically it's based on 
uh, actions and behaviours. What are your actions, what are your behaviours? And a really good culture in anything understands that it just doesn't come from above. It, it's directed from above to a little bit, but it's taken on board from the people within the culture. And when they agree to a high-performance culture, then they hold each other accountable to the level of behaviours and actions they want and need. And in my time, so, and this is a long time ago, but this again is the analogy, in football, when we were successful in the mid-'80s and the coach would set training, it's a bit more scientific now, so you can't necessarily do this, but we would train Monday, Tuesday, Thursday after work, and then a group of players would be saying, well, what are we doing on Wednesday? And we would be driving each other to actually come and train uh, unofficially, but officially, you know, but on an unofficial night, on the Wednesday to improve. And you look back at that and say, what was that? That was driven from above because the above was saying we want to be good. But the group within was saying, well, hang on, yes, we do want to be good. So how are we going to how are we going to push each yeah. other? Yeah, and, it's yeah. not, and it's not and it's not from pointing and it's not from the old pointing and going, oh, you're bad, you know, I'm good, you're bad. It's going, hey, come on, this is this is the level we've agreed to set. Is that right? And they go, yes. Well, then, hang on, we want you to be up here with us. So let's all get up here together. And it becomes an encouraging and positive, uh, a positive culture rather than a, ne- a negative, uh, you know, blaming culture. And and that's and that's ach- and that's achievable in any organisation. And there's a lot of organisations, and people talk about it in different ways. But there's a lot of organisations who understand that and work really hard on the culture to get the right feeling within the company. Uh, and to, to get the people to be, and this thing, we talk about uh, productivity, you know, government and, and politicians talk about productivity gains, which is an easy word to throw out there, but actually how do you get that? And one of the things is that most people are, are being underutilised within their job. It's really interesting, there's a, a vivid, vivid zone in Sydney at the presently, so it's, and it's that high, you know, it's that big um, festival where they project huge lights onto buildings and make it all fancy, and there's, there's the, 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 uh, there's the, uh, the, the 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 picture. That's the video. It's the video, the sound. But then there's the ideas part of it. And it's really interesting now because there's a whole they, they uh, a company and I can't remember the name, but it's done research into 2.4 million dollar job ads recently online job ads, and the 65 percent increase in what people are asking for is creativity, and including for interest for interest sake, just for interest sake, the second one on the list is sales reps. So I represent they wanted to be creative. What does that mean? Do you and for, in the, number 10 is the financial advisor. What, do you want him to, you know, make up the numbers? No, it's about how do you understand what the client needs and be creative, creative with your solution and outcome that they want. And so more and more we're looking at people being, well, it's not this systematic thing. It's this, yes, we have to have a system. But more and more it's about how do we be creative? How do we think outside the square? How do we look at the bigger picture? How do we understand our client or a potential client? to match what we do with them to give them their outcome. you think about this, if you can actually explain to somebody that you'll actually positively improve their life, then you show them how you'll positively improve their life, and then you actually do positively improve their life, how can they not deal with you? And all of a sudden it comes out of the space of, oh, we're talking products and services. We're talking to people about what they need, what the solutions they want, and, and actually partnering with them, which is an old, you know, old fancy word, actually working with them to actually come the solution that they, that they want and that they need. Now, when you think that way, there's a completely different approach to how you deal with how you deal with other people or other situations, and that's a game in sport, in business, in organisations, etc. So, you you mentioned standards and the standards coming from within the team, and you were always known as a player that held yourself to the highest standards. I mean, you you must have because you've got two premierships, Norm Smith Medal, Hall of Fame. 378 AFL games at the highest level of sport in Australia. 
what drove you as a player? If I'm, if I'm a business person, if I'm a salesman, a marketing guy, I'm someone who's an entrepreneur and I have a desire to achieve in my chosen field the same way that you've achieved in AFL and now in business, you had high standards. What drove you to keep those standards Training session after training session, game after game. Oh look, I'd, nobody's perfect. Look, I'd like I'd like to say I never made a mistake, but it's really it's really interesting because, um, well, I put it this way: you you know, I, people when you get introduced to the old football, they can reel off a whole lot of statues. It's lovely, it's beautiful. I can talk about a bloke I know who played uh, six games in his first season, seven games in his uh, last season. Uh, the sector's captain got told he should take twelve months off. Uh, broke, you know, had a hernia fixed, had a knee fixed, had a, uh, a three fingers fixed, uh, four concussions. And, and you can sort of go, well, gee, that's a hard life. I said, it's the same bloke. It's the same bloke. A lot of times, a lot of times we measure people on the, on the high things, which is, which is, you know, very good. But, it, and I've always said this, and it's something I, under, you know, I really believe. If you don't understand the struggle, you'll never understand the success. And it's really interesting. And, and, and it's interesting because you watch people in the, in the um, music industry, and all of a sudden you get this overnight success. Well, it seems because the media's got onto them and they're an overnight success. And they interview them and say, well, next fact, I've been doing this for 12 years. You just haven't noticed yet. And somewhere along the line, somewhere along, along the line, they get noticed. Now, for me, um, and again, look, it's an, old, it's an old saying and it's an adage, but um, uh, success, success comes not from never falling, but rising every time you fall. Now, in some situations, people get, and some situations in life, people get knocked down enough that they just don't want to get up anymore. But a lot of times in sport and business, you will make a mistake. And you'll go, oh, gee, now what do you do with that mistake? Or you know, or, or you get it wrong, do you just repeat it and be stupid? Because the stupidity is, you know, is is doing the same thing and expect, you know, other than expecting different results. Do you make a mistake and you go, all right, that's a mistake. What do I learn from it? How can I improve? We have this continual. If we have this continual viewpoint, viewpoint of how do I keep getting better, um, in a whole range of areas. If you have that, I think that's to understand that. A, what do I have to do? And then B, am I prepared to do it? And, and I always remember one time in the old days, I think we are over in um, over in Perth, in the days where you played um, uh, state footy on the Tuesday after the Saturday. And I was speaking to someone after the game and we're having a chat. And normally I'm very good with the, with the public, but he said at one stage, I could have, you know, I could have played league footy. And I just said, no, you couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and he, got, he started to get a bit shirty. I said, yeah, I could have played league footy. I said, no, no, you couldn't. And then he said, these are the words, I could have played league footy if only I had of. And then I stopped listening. Yeah. Now, if somebody said, you know, I, if somebody said, I could have played league football if I had had two proper legs because I only got one. Okay, all right, that's fair enough. Or I, you know, if I could have played league footy if I didn't have a heart condition, all right. But most people say, you know, you know, my, my old story is I could have been a doctor except for the study in the blood. But apart from that, I could have been a doctor. You know? like, <laughs> <laughs> I've got a bit of a question for you that follows on from that. I... I, I coached my son's footy team and, and played a bit of rugby union myself over the years. Yeah. And I was telling I was telling Gary this story yesterday when we were talking about this interview. I, I've, I've got a boy who's got a lot of promise in my team. He's a very good yep. player. He he's plays in the forwards. He's strong at the breakdown. He's very aggressive at the ruck and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I, I want to use him as an example for the rest of the team. And a couple of times over the past few years, I've put him on the field as captain. And every time I yep. put him on as captain, he has the worst game of his life. Yeah. So yeah. stepping up to that level of responsibility that we're talking about, and you can translate this to a business sense as well, 
can be very difficult, can't it? It's actually a different game almost. Oh, look, and this is one of the things, and this is what happens. In, I'll, come back, I'll come back to that specifically. But this is what happens, and I've seen this happen in business, where you get the best salesperson, and you go, great, let's make him the sales manager or her the sales manager. Mm. And what happens is you lose your best salesperson and you get a really bad sales manager because of a different set of skills. Yeah. And, so, so, and, and a lot of them will say, well, this is the way I was a really good salesperson. You'd be like me. And we can't be like anybody else. We can uh, we can work towards uh, attributes we can you know see as as good attributes to have in other people, but we can't be anybody else. We're going to be ourselves, and so you got to understand that. So, and there's a different set of skills for being a manager and a leader, and different set of skills for being um, a salesperson and a sales manager, etc. Now, specifically specifically to that that um, child you're talking about, when he put, and this is the thing about sport, we got to make sure you, it, the first thing about sport is enjoyment. Mm. If you enjoy it, if you, if, you, you know, if you don't enjoy it, why the hell are you doing it? So you've got to have this enjoyment. Then the other second part of that is you've made him captain. Now, his understanding of captain could be a whole range of things. And so, of course, what it looks like is he's taken on the extra responsibility, but that's become an extra stress. And I was captain, I got, you know, I was captain, I, got, I was made captain at 21 and captain at 22, and I got sacked, uh, you know, I was part of the sack captain's club. <laughs> and I really didn't understand what being a captain was. And back then, maybe, no, like these days, you have a leadership group and you have a, um, you know, your captain gets uh, schooled and trained in a whole lot of things from media to working with people, etc. Back then, you just got the hat and off you went. And so, yeah. with someone like your, your young fella, he's a really good player. So, you give him the captain, and all of a sudden, he's not concentrating on his game, he's concentrating on being captain. Yeah. And, I'm sure you, and I'm sure in junior footy, you haven't sat down with him and said, Look, these are the attributes I want from a captain. You keep playing what you're doing. You know, you keep playing the way you, you're playing. Keep doing it because you'll be a great example. And we just want to thank you for doing that by making you captain. So if you just keep doing that and do it well, you'll be a really good captain. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that to him, but he, he, if he doesn't understand that, he will say, oh, I'm captain. What does that mean? Oh, extra responsibility. What if I fail? What if I make a mistake as captain? And so it's, it's, it's a real different viewpoint on what, he wants to, what you want him to do, what he wants to do, and what he understands as captain. Mm. So it's really interesting that leadership positions actually, people can be, you know, they, people, the leaders aren't born. You know, people say leaders are born. No, leaders are developed and, and, and educated and, and, and understand it and want to do it want to do it but they are really much um, moulded along the way and you can mould them help them mould themselves or help them develop in a whole range of areas but it's just you're not automatically um, automatically captain it's half time on the Mojo Show and time to pause for a cause have you ever wondered why some people who eat better food than others seem to live longer and feel better and are able to accomplish a lot more. So our charity, Uncle Jimmy Thumbs Ups, it's a non-for-profit charity with deductible gift recipient status, which means that you can donate to it and you can claim it off your tax. What we do is we go and work in remote indigenous communities and we do nutrition education, not just for kids, but for the whole community. And we engage the people in the school, the people in the stores, the people in the other non-for-profit organisations who work in that community to try and get everybody eating more fruit and vegetables, drinking more water, less sugar drinks, in a hope that we can cut down some of the chronic diseases which just bedevil these communities. There are some people who are pre-diabetic by 25 years of age. It's just frightening. And it's something that we can take through the whole community. If you eat better food, you'll feel better, you'll be able to accomplish more. So if you want to check it out and you want to 
see what we do, www.thumbsup.org.au. And we'd welcome any donation and any, if anyone wants to come and volunteer, no problems. This is Bud Spitzdrop. This has been a community service announcement on behalf of us. Give me thumbs up. <laughs> the Mojo Radio Show. Simon, you've been arguably a lot of people would consider you to be one of the great players of the modern era, going back now for 370-odd AFL matches. Have you, have you personally always had a firm belief in yourself and your own ability? Um, no. no this, is, this is what you learn, and I use this, and I use this as an example of, of um, not from you know, patting myself on the back, but a real understanding. So I was, when I was about 25, I was, you know, because you think about this, I was uh, 16 played in the first game, 19 best and fairest, 21 captain, and at 25, um, I'm sitting on the bench for the seconds. Um, for a whole lot of reasons I don't need to go into. And so um, I was having a really, you know, really bad period. So my confidence was down, my belief was down, there's a whole lot of stuff there. So, um, and most, from that stage, most people's career goes from sitting on the bench to in the seconds to sitting in the outer with the pie and the beer. And I remember the end of that season saying to myself, all right, um, and, and I can remember saying to myself, all right, there are people here, and this is the coach and the match committee and a few other people, so there are people here who have a different view of my ability than what I have. So what am I going to do about it? Not blame them, not point them at all their fault. I said, what am I going to do about it? And this is when I'm 25. So I've already won two best and fairest. I've played about 150 games. So I understand the game, but I'm sort of going, well, what am I going to do about it? I remember saying to myself, which is very cheeky, and you think about it, I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to win the best and fairest next year. Now, that's a very, you know, <laughs> fraught with danger statement because you get injured and it's all over. Mm. But what it, meant, what it meant was I will do everything, I could do everything I can to win the best and fairest next year. And that year I won the best and fairest and I won it the year after. And as I said, that's not, oh, aren't you good, Simon? That was a real, that was a real understanding for me that you can actually be in control of your own destiny. And then you, if you under, and if you understand what it takes, you and if you're prepared to say yes, I'll do that, um, uh, it, it, it will. You will be. You know. You you can be successful. And a lot of the things you do aren't about talent. And this is one of the things people under, don't understand. You know, turning up on time, uh, doing the training, doing extra training, getting the sleep, getting the diet, um, watching the videos, watching your opponent. Um, all, all those things are, are, are anybody can do, and then the talent. And there's a whole lot, you know, ta- whole lot of talent that's wasted because people only they only work on the talent. And they don't work on all the hard work that goes with it. They don't understand, as I said before, they don't understand the struggle. There was a very wise old coach who told me once that the number on your back only matters at the back at the breakdown. The rest of the time, you're a part of a football team, and that's. For anybody who wants to succeed at anything, that's a big part of it, isn't it? Remembering that it's not just you, you're actually part of a team as well. Like you can do all the personal preparation that you were just talking about, but you still need to play as part of a team. Oh, look, and, that, and that's right. And, and that's, and that's it. as I understand, and you think about it, you think about it in a rugby game, a football game, a soccer game, a netball game, whatever. Um, if you're sitting there by yourself, you're not going to get much done, are you? If you're yeah. out of on the field, the other team have got your 11 or their 15 or their 18 or whatever, yeah. um, you're not going to get much done. So understanding, and this is, the, this is the other thing too, is understanding where you fit in and what your role is. 
and understanding what every, this is the thing about the team, you know, and, and this is the, the, the first layer of teamwork, understanding what your role is and agreeing to your role and understanding what the role of everybody else is and you agreeing to their role, you know, understanding their role and they're agreeing to it. And then how you communicate um, within those roles is a really strong part of being a team. Because mm. if you don't know where you fit in, the, the, the worst thing for a player and for a worker, an employee, is not, not knowing what the boss thinks of them or what doesn't know what the coach says. If the coach says to the player, I hate your guts and I want to get rid of you, okay, I know where I stand. I'm going. But when the player goes, oh, I don't know if he likes me, he doesn't talk to me, I'm not sure about the direction, and I'm an R, you can get lost in that system. So really good coaches now are very, very good communicators. And, and it's really says a whole lot of research, you know, in different areas to talk about good managers and leaders actually being very good coaches within the workplace. So when and this and, and, and being good coaches means not, not when something not just when something goes wrong. When something goes wrong you work at okay, what 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 went wrong? How you know, why did it go wrong? How can we improve it? What we'll do next time? But also what's going right? Why is it going right? How can we capture that and keep repeating it? And that's a really important thing, you know. Uh, um, performance reviews are a terrible word. They should be a great word. They should be an ongoing thing. So we're continuing reviewing your performance on including the positive things so how we can make you better. But people see a performance review as a negative thing that's a step before they sack me. And in, sp- and in sport, we review the performance all the time. Simon, can I take you back, just following on from Robbo's questions about the coach, can I take you back to 1983? <laughs> I wish you didn't. I wish you didn't. <laughs> and I, re- I remember walking through Punt Oval yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, that, toward yeah. the MCG to my first ever... Back back then, it was actually called the VFL, the VFL Grand Final. And hearing the noise, there were 110,000 people, and you were playing that match, and that was a match you played against Hawthorne. Now, in 1983, in that Grand Final, I think it's fair to say that you guys didn't go as well as you would like. And <laughs> oh, look, for being soft. <laughs> we, we were be- I'll give you two measurements of that game, right? We were beaten by then a record score. And the real insult, <laughs> not only that, the real insult is that they were showing, they were showing that game, they were, they were VFL, VFL, AFL back then, the VFL were trying to get coverage in America. So they actually had that game on a cable, well, I was told this later, they had that game on a cable channel in, in America. And they switched off at halftime and went to another sport because it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> what an insult. How bad, how bad we were. It's, it's going to get better for you, mate. So in 1984, I didn't go to this one. There were 92,000 people. I did. I was and there. once yeah, again, did. you were playing. So that You're in was the rock. And, and you were playing. Actually, I've got this, got this wrong. That's the one you, you won, isn't it? What happened is, yeah, 83 got beat by Hawthorne. record score. And we had never beaten Hawthorne for ages. And in the second semi, I think we were one or two points down. And Rodney Edge is now a coach. He was for Hawthorne. In the dying second or one or two seconds, he got a mark in the goal square, kicked the ball through to win by more than the goal. So it was either seven or eight points, right? And I can remember going in and... And thinking, well, you know, and the team went in, you could feel we're down this, we can't beat them. And this is where Kevin Shoot, Kevin Shoot is, was really good. He was always positive. You could get beaten by 30 goals and say, what about that bloke on the wing? We've discovered a player. You know, that type of uh, positive. And, and, and there's, a, there's a, uh, a great saying too that people, people forget what you said, people forget what you did, but people never forget how you made them feel. And and I can remember going into that going and I actually in this instance I remember I remember what she'd said but most of the time it's how he made you feel and you go into that into the um, you know the, the team room 
coach's room after and you you know you shattered because we've been beaten again and we nearly had them and we couldn't get them and Shedge was good because he said look that's the best team in the league and he had his fingers you know a cent a millimeters apart he said they're the best team in the league and we're that far from them and started to talk about how we could beat them and then you come out so you go to that meeting defeated and you come out of that meeting going yeah yeah actually we can so he's got you thinking bigger and brighter and broader. And the same thing in the third quarter of that game is because we were down and we, we had a lot of the play, but we were, we, you know, we, we weren't renting goals. We, we were kicking a lot of points. And I remember three-quarter time, and people said to me, what did he say at three-quarter time? And I actually can't remember what he said at three-quarter time. But I know that when we went, when we ran away from the huddle at three-quarter time, we were full of confidence, we were raring to go, and he made us feel like we could win the game. And that's that part of motivation. And I had this conversation with someone uh, regu- uh, just recently about football where, um, you know, if, if you've got a structure in place and the structure fails, you can blame the structure. Oh, you know, oh, the structures didn't work out. But there's another part of the game, and I, I, and I, lo- I, I talk about some of the Indigenous players I've played with and, and seen play because there's a whole lot of structure being involved into the, you know, brought into the game. It's about this has got to be in this place at this time. And I understand all that. But I always remember one, a young Indigenous player called Wanamira played for Melbourne his first game, and it's a few years ago. And he got on the forward pocket, he got the ball, he ran around two bikes and kicked the goal over his head. And I said, yes, because I bet you he's never done that in any structure of training. And it's just this part of the game, that this, this is this part of the game, this creativity part that back to work with people asking more about it in the workplace, this part of the game is really important. When, when it's all going, you know, to Tish, who does something that breaks open the play or who does something that motivates everybody else? And that sometimes is not within the plan. And, and, and so you've got to understand that there's this motivational factor that, yes, within the structures and the processes, there's this motivational factor of getting people to believe that they can. And really good, really good coaches, really good coaches get people to believe that they can. Let's just camp there for a second. How does someone do that? Tell me, tell me a step or two of the great coaches like a Sheedy or in the modern era, maybe a Rodney Eade, or if you look at a rugby league or Wayne Bennett, these guys are notorious for being able to lift people, make them feel good yeah. and get them to do things they didn't know were possible. What are the steps, Simon? How does someone do that? It, it, well, it, it, it doesn't necessarily, it just doesn't happen in short term. It's actually, you've got to give something, people something to believe. And this is one of the things about training. If you do the training, then you believe that you're fit enough and strong enough. So the coach can say, boys, we've done the training. You've done the preparation. You're ready. And you go, oh, yes, we have. Yeah, so I agree with him there. And, and you know, little things like boy, they make a mistake and say, boys or girls or, you know, people or pals or whatever, you know, whichever sport you're in, which, um, um, hey, you made a mistake. You're better than that. And you sort of go, yeah, I am. I shouldn't do that, should I? Yeah. So it's always the positive. So, so and this is one of the things, it's not, it's, and there's a whole lot of game research about looking at the strengths of people. And, and I, I use it, again, I use an, a, a football analogy with people. I say, when the coach, when the coach sits down and says, look, um, Bruce, Bob, look, your teamwork's fantastic. Keep that up. Look, your kicking's not up to scratch at the moment. Um, and, uh, but your, your handball is fantastic. So look, keep that up. That's great. But so what are we going to do about your kicking? And again, it's just the old fact of the buy-in. So instead of saying, you, you know, because everybody's easy to stand in the outer, point at somebody and say, your kicking's terrible, fix it. I go, yeah, yeah. So you sit down with the bloke and go, all right, so your kicking's not right. Uh, and again, this, yeah, this is in the workplace. You can say, your kicking's not right. So what are we going to do about it? What, how are we going to organise it? So you sit down and you go, so what do we do with your kicking? So what we'll do is we'll get um, uh, every, every training session, 10 minutes one-on-one uh, to help you. you. Do you agree to be part of that? Yes, I agree. Okay, and then what we'll do is we'll videotape you and 
somebody else who's a good kicker and we'll look at the biomechanics of it. So compare the biomechanics, if we can uh, fix anyway, then I go, yeah. And what we'll do is we'll go and get Matthew Lloyd. He's a great goal kicker. And we saw him improve. His. We'll get him to talk to you and you sit down with him. And what you put in place is a process of improvement. So you're giving somebody, and then you say, keep up the teamwork, keep up the handbook, fantastic. So you're giving them something to say, yes, I'm not good yet, but I can be. Because there's a big difference between saying I can't do it and I can't do it yet. And it's a huge difference for people. And once, once the coach says, A, I work in the positive, B, we improve the, you know, B, we improve the negative, but also I give you a pathway to improve that you understand, and then you build on your self-belief, and there's a whole lot of you know, other ways of doing it. Once you do that, you get people to, to a level where they want to be successful. They want to be, and they want to continue to be successful in what they do. But it doesn't happen blindly, and it doesn't happen overnight. As a, as a player, were you very ritualised, Simon? Like, did you have rituals um, you went through for games or training? Yeah, you, you, sort, of, you sort of do. I, um, sometimes, and you try different, you know, like you try different things. In some ways, yes, but the more you play, the less you worry about it. But look, I, like, yeah. I remember one stage was was freezing cold day. Um, and it was an absolutely freezing cold day. And I said, oh, one of the trainers, can I have a cup of coffee at halftime? You know, can you keep, because one of them, you know, is a coffee, you know, a little coffee pot there. And so I had a coffee at, at halftime and I got warmed up and played the second half. So I started to have a coffee <laughs> because it was really <laughs> enjoyable. But now, you know, now, of course, caffeine is, is you know, enough. So what too much is, is no good, yeah. but, you know. But, yeah. and, and they're saying you have some caffeine because it keeps you up. So I was way ahead of the, you know, the scale there. But you, you know, in my in my in my time, you know, the first thing, steak and eggs in the morning be good for you. And then you're like, oh, hang on, no, no, muffins, muffins at ten o'clock are better for you. And then, oh, you got to get all these, you know, the all these all these um, gels. You got, you know, I mean, this, if you believe it's good for you, it probably is. And mm-hmm. so it's again, it, it's it's very you can get caught in ritual. There were some things that you like to do, like we used to have a box, boxing trainer. So just actually, and um, who, who was very disappointed with me when I got into one fight and he thought they were, you know, powder puff punches you were throwing, so he's very disappointed with me. <laughs> but, I, but before the game, just the actual, the actual um, boxing as a quick warm-up was really good because you, you're not using your eggs that much, you're using your lungs and your arms and you're belting, you know, you're belting into this, like, so you're getting your body going, so you're sort of saying that sort of part is, that part of it's really good. So there are some rituals, but you can... You know, sometimes it's not going to happen. You might turn up later or whatever, so you can't get stuck in rituals. But yeah. you know, as long as you understand you can't get stuck in them, if you have them, you're understanding where they fit in, that, that's, that's fine. Simon, having played so many AFL games over such a long period of time, what do you put down your longevity to? Um, uh, genes. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's, really, it's really interesting because my, my brother, Justin, who played a little bit with Essendon, and then played uh, for Carlton. He played over three hundred. He played three hundred thirty-two games. Blues. And I've played three hundred seventy. I keep saying only three hundred thirty-two. You know, and I've played <laughs> three hundred seventy-eight. So combined, combined seven hundred ten games. We're the only brothers to play over three hundred games, and only brothers to be like members because of it. Now that could be in the genes. You don't know. It, we both played in the ruck, so it could have been the position. But although that can be hard, I've seen I've seen great. You know, I've seen people who can play their sport. I can see people who play rugby or basketball or, or football or netball or cricket, but their body won't let them. Especially in a game like rugby or, or, or football, where it's you know it's a very physical clashing game. That they, they you know they can do it, but their body won't let them. So there's a little bit of luck involved. Um, so there's this. Um, you know this this concept of resilience, and, and I try to explain to people. And you've got to be careful who you say this to because a lot of people sort of say you know talking you know crazy stuff. But 
high-level sport, and, and you understand this about high-pressure anything, it will test you physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And people say, what do you mean? I say, well, you know, of course it's going to you know, test you physically. Of course it, 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 it actually tests you mentally. And at times, it, you know, it'll test you uh, emotionally because it's just so hard and can you get through this and oh my God and they've dropped me. And, but the other thing spiritually, it actually, and by that I mean in the full sense of it, you said it'll actually test what you actually believe in. And people say, look, I can't do this anymore. This is just too hard. I don't believe that this is the right direction for me. I want to give up. That type of thing is, you know, talking about the spirit you have in you about whether you can do it. And that's what really high-level sport does. And a lot of people don't understand that. They understand that the hard, you know, they understand the hard work and the physical stuff. But the, emotion, the, the emotional intensity, the, the mental intensity and the spiritual intensity um, that is needed to have a long career. And by that, and, and I said before, you falter and you falter. So what do you learn from the faltering? And you get knocked over, you get up. And so that part of it is, is is sometimes very hard to explain to people, but you you talk to people who've been through it and they understand they understand it completely. So trying to build up and look, uh, you know, I, I have and I say that I have the luxury of playing lots of football. Um, most and look, I use this you know sort of a, a general term. Um, you you understand the game, so you learn the game in your first fifty, and you understand the game in your second 50. So if you play over 100 games, you actually know where you fit into the big picture. But most players in AFL don't play 100 games. So most players actually don't know where they fit into the big picture. They're taking direction from the coach and, and, and they... But, and, that, you know, that varies from uh, group to group. But, but basically, that's what about that's what happens. That you, you get to a stage where you, you know where you fit in into the bigger picture. Just, I just want to just camp on that for a second. You just talked about getting knocked down and getting back up again. And yep. you've told the story of getting dropped to the seconds yep. and going through how that felt, the emotion of playing in seconds when you were known to be a gun player in the A's. Yeah. And also, the other, sorry, the other part of that is, like, in the workplace, the, the rest of the world doesn't know about it. But in, in, in AFL football with all the media, it's all over the papers and everybody's talking about it. So it's exactly. not just so, about you and, yeah. So, uh, so you are, that's, that's a, a great point of where I want to go with this is that you are down, you're in a dark time and you can't see the light. Like you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. But you did because yeah. you set yourself a vision of what you wanted. Talk me through the actual steps that you would say to somebody based on your experience, what you've seen, what you've felt, what you've been through, what are the steps that someone would go through if they are down, can't see the light? Hey, look, that's a really good point. You, you need, you like, you can't, I said, you need to you can't do it by yourself. So I remember at that time, there's a number of people around me, um, the fitness trainer, um, an ex-coach, friends who said, well, hang on, we know you're better than this. Da, 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 da. We, and and they, they actually help, they help you, get your vision right so if if you've got someone who it's not you but you're helping someone if you go back and say look, hang on let's you know they'll say let's come back look at a highlight tape right say for the sports remember doing that remember that so you, you don't it's like riding a bike you don't lose the skills now you get you know in football you get old and you're too fast and too, you know too slow I and mean, too slow you don't have to strengthen anymore, but you don't lose the skills it's like riding a bike but it, the belief in those skills so you have to have people around you it's you can't do it by yourself so you know, it's a case of if you've got someone like that, you sit down with them, and you say, "It's someone. Have you got you know? Have you you know the old hand thing? Have you got five people who you actually trust and can confide in and could work with or could help you 
get back. So in football, it would be if the, if the if the senior coach hasn't got you know belief in you, is it a secondary coach? Is it the phys ed person? Is it your partner? Is it a good friend? Is it an expert from outside your field that could, or in your field but outside your workplace that could help you? Uh, in mental health, is it the psychologist, the psychiatrist? The you know, there's a whole range of things where people in certain places can't do by themselves, and so you need you need outside assistance. But understanding that you need that that you that you're interdependent on other people is a step. So if you're one of the people helping them, you say, hey, look, look, I, I do a lot of one-on-one coaching, or not a lot, but I do a bit of it. And I said, look, um, we might get to the stage where I will say to you, look, I can't help you. You need professional help. And that could be financial. It could be psychiatry. It could be emotional or whatever. And, and I, you know, one of the things about being professional is being able to say, um, that's something I can't do. And I've, I've, I know I've done this with specifically with one person who we're having, a, you know, very good coaching, being successful, but we're going through a hard time. And I said, look, you need to go and get, uh, go and see a doctor and just check your, your mental state at the moment, which he was very, now he, he had a little bit of depression, didn't have clinical depression, got over it, but he was very thankful that he actually went and did that. So having those people around you, having those people around you that actually you trust and you can have a real, a real conversation with, which, um, uh, is just so important to have people to communicate with is very much a part of very it. Very quickly to, to finish up, mate, before we let you go, um, we have had on the program some mates of ours, Paul Christie from Mondo Rock. Yes. Dave Pritchard from The Party Boys. Yes. And they have said there's a, there's a rumour circulating that you are, in fact, a weekend warrior. Is that true? Um I actually, yes, I, I, it's funny, isn't it? A few people get, oh, football, did he play guitar? I started learning guitar in grade four, grade five, right? So I played guitar for umpteen. And I'm now in a band called Better Late Than Never. It's all old people, so we call it Better Late Than Never. <laughs> Fair enough, isn't it? But what happened yeah. is, yeah, I know, when, I know Wendy Stapleton and Paul Norton, who, if you're in the museo world, you know them yeah. very well in Melbourne. They're, they're, um, and, they're, and they talked me and my mate, because I had two mates, and we jam once every month for two months on a Tuesday night, a couple of years just jam. And they talked us into putting a band together for one gig, uh, which was through the Weekend Warriors, because Paul Norton was wanting to, running this program called the Weekend Warriors. And we got together. Um, for, uh, they put a, uh, us three, they put a... Um, uh, put us with a bass player and a drummer. Paul Norton directs, virtually directs, he produces you very good. Seven songs for half an hour performance. Uh, we put bright T-shirts on, called ourselves the Wrinkles, and said, you know, like our <laughs> counter, like our counter, counterparts, we play age-appropriate music. So we just started, you know, and that was eight songs in there. We do, we do gigs, in, we do pub gigs, we do private gigs, we're doing birthdays, we've done weddings, wow. and we play, we play sixty, seventies, eighties, nineties rock and if you can't if you don't if it hasn't got a beat and you can't dance to it and you don't know it we don't play it and it's just really it's really good, it's really really good fun and it's um yeah you know for old people that get the mind going and the hands going my old football hands are a little bit swollen and you know fingers look but the guitar keeps mobile so it's great it's good fun it's really really good fun we'll put a link to the weekend warriors into our show notes simon for those people mm. who want to follow up and uh and get along and uh and jam with the boys or girls good it's a it's a so it's if you look at better late than never there's a few American bands, it goes. But if you look up Better Late Than Ever and Simon Madden in the same uh, in the same uh, search, you'll you'll most likely find ours. Well, I will do the searching. We're not very good at marketing ourselves. We're too busy just having a bit of fun. <laughs> yeah. We're not very good at doing radio either, but we're still doing it. So you know, <laughs> wouldn't worry about that, mate. <laughs> well, I think the um, the full time siren is about to sound. Simon, mm. thank you for your time, mate. It's been such a privilege talking with you. 
Um, you certainly are one of the greats of the AFL game here in Australia. So uh, thanks for your time, mate. Thanks for sharing all your business wisdom and taking us through some great memories of your AFL career, mate. It's been terrific. Absolutely. Good on you, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Uh, go to the, uh, the Mojo Radio Show. Uh, it was very enjoyable. Great questions and good luck with it, fellas. Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. You know, it's nice to see that family doing so well. You know, he's he's such a world-renowned AFL player. His brothers, Benji and Joel on The Voice, you know. It's so awesome, that family. They're doing so well. <laughs> yeah, I reckon he's going to love that when he hears this back. <laughs> <laughs> nah, a true legend, absolutely. And a good guy. I, I really yeah. enjoyed that. And I think, um, you know, in a business sense, he's got a lot to draw upon from mm. his super successful AFL uh, career. Um, and now he's doing really good things in business and in sounds like in the charity space as well, which yeah. is uh, which is wonderful. You so know, it's something that occurred to me playing footy for so long and also afterwards just watching sports people and making some connections between sport and, and business. But since we've been doing this show, I've n- never realised how much of a connection there is toward in terms of attitude and, and all that sort of stuff. It's really, it's really interesting, isn't it? It is. What I like about people like Simon Madden and Dan Collins who was one of our guests who was the Olympian, uh, Andrew May, uh, Roger Black. It's, it's good finding athletes, whether it be in footy, uh, the Olympics, track, field, who can take those skills, philosophically take what worked for them on the sporting field but apply it to business and show not just in terms of you should but guys that are actually doing it. Mm. Mm. And there is a, a lot of crossover but it's unusual to find guys, I think, in this day and age who can talk sport but then give you actual case studies and actual tips and tools that they have used with leaders and teams in the workplace, which is what you know the Mojo Radio Show is all about is getting your mojo working in and out of work. And I think Simon is a great example of that. And we've got another guest coming up shortly, Drew Ginn, who is a three-time Olympic gold medalist in rowing. And he is truly a fantastic guy, but he's got great philosophical attitude towards business. His experience from the sporting field to the working business field um, is second to none. So you're quite right, mate. So, um, well, I think that's a very good analysis of our last guest. Yeah, I just find it really interesting. It's um, it, those those sort of connections between the two. But um, there you go. I suppose it's all about winning at the end of the day, isn't it? Well, it is. And I think it's drawing those connections, which is a segue to uh, the close for today. I believe that you are going to take it. We're climbing today. We're, we're taking the stairway to heaven. We are. God of rock. Thank you for this chance to kick ass. Now let's get out there and melt some faces! The Mojo Radio Show's Lessons in Rock. You would have to say that Stairway to Heaven is probably the most played track by amateur guitarists anywhere in the world, right? Oh, mate, it is it is a rock anthem. Yeah, I see guys walk into my local music store and say, hey, can I have a quick noodle with that guitar that you've got for sale? And the, the salesman gets it down and shoves it in their hands and the, the first chords out of their fingers are Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> I remember. It's like uh, Garth Elgar and Wayne Campbell from Wayne's mm-hmm. World walking into yes. the music store and there's a big sign up above the guitar saying, no Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Classic movie too. But yeah, there, I guess there's no denying that you know it is one of the greatest rock tracks of all time. And um, I just happened to come across a, um, it's actually Jimmy Page just sitting down talking about how he constructed that song. Just have a little quick listen to this. One of the cardinal rules when I was a studio musician was that you didn't 
speed up. And I was keen to do something which had an acceleration to it, not only from the musical point of view, but from the lyricist, so that the whole thing would start to gain a momentum as it went through, so it wasn't just a monotone piece. And by that, I actually mean that it would, that, that it would subtly speed up. So you're breaking the number one cardinal rule. So I think that's a really good example of how sometimes you have to break the rules to really innovate and um, and create change. Well, it is, and it's it's unquestionably one of the greatest rock songs, one of the greatest anthems of all time. But mm. to get to that point, you've got to do something different to all the other rock tracks that are out there. And mm. what what I took from it is that, and I'm, in fact, this week I'm speaking to a group of CEOs down in Adelaide. Mm about disruption mm. and disruption is about doing things differently and flying in the face of tradition and the word that Jimmy Page used was we broke the cardinal rule and mm. if you do want to disrupt and look a number of horizons ahead in your business then you have to look at the cardinal rules and say how do we break them how do we smash the cardinal rules but then you've got to have the courage to do it so mm. it's identifying the cardinal rules and then when the majority of people around you say you can't do it, it's then having the courage to break the cardinal rule. If you do that, the rewards, as you can see from Stairway to Heaven, are mm. astronomical and mm. you are on a stairway to the heavens of disruption. Do you like that little love? Uh, I do like one? that. And, you know, <laughs> just, just hearing you talking about that made me think, I wonder what their royalties check for that song are every oh. year. Can you imagine? Oh. <laughs> and do you know something else that I really like? For anybody who's listening who loves rock, uh, we will post the link to the YouTube clip that we took this from. Mm. Do yourself a favour, go in and have a look and a listen, because it's a beautiful clip. But when he talks about the song, and he talk, he has the song playing underneath him, he's playing it on an old record player, mm. and he sits there in his beautiful chair and just puts the needle down the record player. So old school, so authentic. But to me, that just says a lot about there's tradition. Yeah. Here's how we broke the rules, but there's always a place for tradition. It's balancing those things up when you are creating to know this is tradition, these are the sacred cows, these mm. are the cardinal rules. Now, how do we take all that without mm. losing the integrity, mm. smash it, create something great, and mm. then you get something iconic. Absolutely. That's for a finish for sure. Well, you know what oh. I get from sitting there and watching it, going back to Wayne's world? We're not worthy! <laughs> <laughs> all right, I reckon we're out. I reckon we're out, and I reckon the only way to get out is uh, with that tune, don't you? Out. There's a lady who's sure All that glitters is gold And she's buying a stairway to heaven When she gets there she knows If the stores are all closed With a word she can get what she came She's buying a stairway There's a sign on the wall But she wants to be sure Cause you know sometimes words have to mean In a tree by the brook There's a songbird who sings Sometimes all of our thoughts 
to heaven. The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.